Bob Selleck, who has, is ex- so ex- extremely gifted, um, he's been the pastor for those young people, been leading them, and, and um, he, he was challenging them. And, and Jenny, who also is on staff with us, is, uh, is a part of the student ministry. She, she told me this. She was sitting in the back, and she thought, wow, he's really riding them hard. Um, he's really asking a commitment that is really maybe too strong. And um, when Rob was through with his message, he asked, are you willing to be an Acts 2 person connected to an Acts 2 type of church? If you are, he says, don't answer this flippantly. He says, we're going to have um, markers there... Um, on ink that what is that uh, won't erasable it's and what okay that's way too much indelible indelible he asked them to get up if they wanted to make that sign he wanted them to to say that they were going to follow the Lord one of the things that they said for 180 days I commit This is what they passed out in Acts 2, commitment. For 180 days, I commit to continually be devoted to the things of God, to an Acts 2 life outlined in this handout. I understand my leadership and my shepherds, as well as my mentors, will hold me accountable to living out the Acts 2 life. They signed it. 35 of those 50 young people signed their names to this commitment. It is the most amazing thing. Jenny said she sat in the back and just wept as these young people came up and signed that uh, the wall. I'm going to ask you and me to consider doing the same thing. Next, um, next week is Palm Sunday. We will have um, a communion service. And at the end of the service, um, we're going to have a cross up here in front. We're going to ask those of you that I will mention at the end of this message who would consider to, with us, become an Acts 2 church, an Acts 2 person, willing to follow the things that we have learned upon this uh, journey that we have taken in this great book, the book of Acts, the second chapter. When we began this journey in Acts chapter 2, we, were, we stopped at Acts chapter 20. And, and, and next week, if not next week because it's Palm Sunday, and then as we walk into the most holiest of times for us as believers, the following week is Easter. And so I'm not sure whether I'll start next week or Easter, but we will move into Acts t- chapter 21 and finish, of course, the book of Acts. This pause that we took, we thought was critical to you and me. I am more convinced now that it was the right decision than ever before. But whether it's a right decision or not will depend upon you and me. What do we want to become? What, how willing are we to be challenged? Not, not by me. I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I've always, always held the place in my heart that if I am a good enough speaker, and I've seen this happen, 
eloquent enough. I've seen speakers move people to do a knee-jerk type of reaction, to, to say yes to something that they weren't certain they wanted to do. I've always been under the contention of my heart that you will be moved by God, not me. When you are moved by God and not me, it's permanent. I'm a frail human being who will make mistakes. And so if you've put me up as something that is, that's my, that's the role model I have. Now I'm willing to ask you to follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to and I want to live a godly lifestyle. But I do not want to be that person because I want your heart to be knit to God. That's who my heart is knit to. If everything around me were to fail, I remember the most wonderful moment in my life happened almost a few weeks after I became a Christian. When I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, I knew it was real to me. And it was my commitment, not to a church, not to a pastor, but to my Savior. And a couple weeks in, some of my friends kind of asked me to stop hanging around with them anymore. I became religious. And when I walked out... um, what was a group of my friends, and I was leaving because they asked me, they literally asked me, we don't want you hanging out here with us anymore. And when I walked out and was starting to go to my place, this was back in Waikiki in Hawaii. I was walking down the Alawai. It's Waikiki in Hawaii. And tears were coming down my cheek, and I thought, wow, uh, what have I done now? I have no more friends. And it wasn't about a half a block later when I was walking home that I thought to myself, you know, this is fine with me. If it's just me and you, Lord, for the rest of my life, that'll be sufficient. And I meant that with all my heart. And that was a wonderful commitment to me. It wasn't a commitment to a church. It wasn't a commitment to a denomination. It wasn't a commitment to a a person. It was a commitment to my Lord and my Savior so I've always been under the contention that that should be something that between you and God, any decision that you make. And so what I would want you to do is to consider as we go through this message today, what does being an Acts 2 believer mean to you? I think you have, and I have seen some thoughts about what a church is supposed to be like when we started looking at Acts chapter 2. Would you turn with me? to Acts chapter 2, and let's read again verses 41 to 47. We've read it a few times. We began this journey on October the 14th, the year 2007. So we've been, we've been considering an Acts 2 type of a church for quite some time now. And we tried to explain what would we look like if we were to become true followers of Jesus Christ that that follows the pure teaching of our Lord. And Acts chapter 2 is as close to a godly church and the principles of a godly church that you and I will ever consider. You see, within the Rock Community Church, there are not a lot of do's and don'ts. 
there's not a lot of programs. There is, though, hopefully, a very intimate following of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in all that we do. And so it starts in verse 41 by saying this, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The church begins. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and their possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And it says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The very essence of your life and my life is to see people come to Christ. The very reason for us to live and to breathe is to see people come to Christ. That's the purpose of this life we live. Jesus Christ left us here that we might be his disciples throughout the world in which we live. Drawing people to Jesus Christ. Father, as we come before your most wonderful throne of grace, we hold you in awe. It is our desire deep, Father, that we would become a committed group of people who were continually devoting themselves to the things that you consider important. May we wipe away all those things, Father, that get in between us and you. May we be as pure of followers of your Son as possible. So, Lord, would you please teach us? Would you please move me aside? And anyone who would ever preach here, Move the persons aside so that we might see you in your purity, in your holiness, so that we might consider following you above and beyond anything and everything that we do. Teach us from your word. Guide us, Father. Let us walk blamelessly, Father, with you. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I made it a theme some time ago. I remember, I think I do, I think it was back when we were in the theaters. I don't know if you were with us then, but we met in, in the theaters over off of Imperial in, in La Palma. It was really a nice place to meet. I, I, if, I, if, if I had all the money in the world, I would have purchased that theater and just, I just you know, tore it up and, and made our church in there. And I would have kept those seats with the cup holders so you could have your coffee. 
Especially on a morning like today when we need to be awake. But I would have loved to have stayed there. I remember saying one morning, whatever the message was on, I think we were in the book of John, and it wasn't in my notes, and I said with the most sincerity that I could ever muster, I said, I don't care. It doesn't trouble me at all where and how and why you came to Jesus Christ. I remember saying that. And, and, and it, I don't know, maybe it had something to do with my message. I don't remember writing it down. I don't remember ever reading this anywhere. But I said, what I do care about as your pastor and as your friend, what I do care about monumentally in your life, in my life, is how we finish our walk with Jesus Christ. As long as you and I worship together and have this place as our church, and you're in this community and feel comfortable serving and honoring the Lord with us here, it is my deepest desire to help you and me finish strong this walk that we have been entrusted with to Jesus Christ. There are three things, I boil it down, there are three things that are extremely important to me in my life. My wife. I want, I want for her to be loved like no other woman on the face of this earth. I want to love my wife with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. Second thing I want to do is I want to love my children and my grandchildren. I want to cherish them. My son, this is nothing about anything except I want to just tell you the story. My son calls me every day. We talk every day. It's the greatest privilege of my life. I get to see him often, but we talk every day. He'll call me and tell me he simply loves me. He says, Dad, you won't believe what, what Dylan did to my grandson. I know this is like showing snapshots. Please forgive me. This is nothing to do, this is nothing to do with the message. But this is what being a grandfather is to me. He was... He and his wife, were, were they had to send their kid, Dylan, to preschool. <laughs> and, and so, like all parents, they're a little concerned, will he be able to adjust okay? And so it was the first time that they were going to have him pack a lunch, because the teacher asked them to pack a lunch. They were going to all eat their lunch together, and afterwards they were going to keep the kids a little extra, they were going to let them all nap together. So John Mark is and, and, and Jennifer are concerned. Oh, will Dylan be able to handle lunch? He hasn't he hasn't had, ate away from us before. Oh, he's never slept anywhere else before. I wonder how he'll do. So they're going to prepare his little heart. He's a three-year-old boy. I mean, you know, those of us that have a bunch of kids that say, you know, go on and get to school, you know. No, they're really concerned. So they're wondering what is he going to do, and they're preparing his heart at dinner the night before Dylan. They said. We're going to um, pack you a lunch for school tomorrow. He went, oh, his eyes got big. And so because at school you're going to have lunch with all your friends. Ooh, he looked at them and he said, and then afterwards, and here's what they thought was the thing he was going to rebel against. He says, and you're going to get to take a nap with your students. And he said, three years old, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. You're going to, they're going to let me do that? He was so happy. And my son called me and he said, when he said get out of here, both my wife and I hit the floor laughing so hard. <laughs> now, I know that means nothing. Thank you for laughing and hopefully you do enjoy it. But, you know, kids are just, 
it's just amazing. It's just amazing. So that's the second thing, my kids and my, 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 my grandkids. Third thing, without a doubt, is you. I love you. I want to live my life with you. I want to, I've already grown old. I was going to say, I want to grow old with you. But I want to grow older with you. I want to love you so much that you would, that you would just be amazed that anyone who is kind of a, a stranger at one time, not related to you at all, loves you as much as I do. And in that loving you, I want to be your friend, and I want to be your pastor, and I want to be someone that with you finishes this walk that we have with Jesus Christ as strongly as physically and mentally and emotionally possible within our lives and within our hearts. A while back, we buried Don. He finished strong, didn't he? She gave me this. He did. His family drew together. When he passed away, they were there. It was, it was a really a bittersweet moment. It was sad because now Jeannie's without him for this period of time, whatever that's going to be, and, and she misses him desperately, I know. But we watch this man of God finish strong. And that was one of the privileges that that I have to be a part of this with you. And so to be an axed to believer, to really be a person that is going to follow this whole scenario that we've laid out before you, is going to take a commitment. It's going to take a, a time for you to consider, are you willing, as it says in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, are you willing to be continually devoting yourselves to the things of God. And so how are we going to finish our walk? You see, the reason it is important for you and me to finish strong is that we we need to concern ourselves with each other here at this church. We need one another. God made us so that we rely upon each other. It is a part of our faith. None of us is an island to ourselves. In fact, God teaches that we desperately need one another. We desperately need your, 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 and my. We need our spiritual gifts that God has given to us to to strengthen the body of Christ, we need one another so as to grow as completely as God wants us to grow. As we strive to know the Word of God, you and I are going to become challenged, not just through this series of an Acts 2 church. We're going to be challenged week in and week out by the Word of God and to hopefully begin to conform ourselves into that image that we have set before us in the person of Jesus. He, and he alone, is your and my role model, not the pastors, not anyone else, because he is perfect. And your spiritual gift will assist me in my growth and finishing strong in the Lord. 
So Peter tells us in this section of scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47, there are six things that we saw that need attention to our becoming continually devoted to Jesus Christ. First and foremost, turn with me, please. Hold your place here, but turn to Psalms 119, verse 9. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite places in the Word of God. Psalms 119, starting with verse 9. We want to be a people who are continually devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings. In other words, the Word of God. The writer of Psalms 119, verse 9, asks us a question. How can we keep our way pure? He answers it by keeping it according to your word. The reason, make no mistake about it, the reason that we at this church consider this, your Bible, our Bibles, whatever it is that you're holding in your lap as your Bible, This is the most important thing that you have in your life. Whether you know it or not, this is everything to you because it is in this that you become the person of God that God has created you to be. Without this, you have no real knowledge of what you are to become like. There are pastors, there are denominations that tell you you need to do A, B, C, and D before you can walk with God. The Bible tells us how can you keep your way pure? Keep it according to his word, pure and simple. Look what he says in verse 10. With all of my heart, the psalmist writes, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your laws. Teach me your word. That is everything to you and me. Without this, the Bible, we have no real knowledge of what we are to become like. This is everything to us. He goes on to say, verses 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Look, verse 13, with, with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. In other words, he is saying, there's not enough money that can give me what you give me through your word. I will meditate on your precepts. I'll regard your ways. I'll delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I might live and keep your word. Open my eyes. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your word. And so as a church, we feel that it is of utmost importance. In fact, it is the rock, solid foundation of the Rock Community Church that we get to know his word. That is why it boggles my mind why anybody would go to a church where they don't open the Bible, but they just give you a philosophy of life. Now, we have committed here that from the, from the young people, from, from Rob and what he is teaching, from even beneath that to the younger, younger are, are just our toddlers, we are teaching them the best we know how the Word of God. 
Because it is this that will keep yours and my way pure. It is through this, when we treasure it in our hearts, that we will know that we will not sin against our God. And so we have decided as an Acts 2 church that we are going to be committed to the Word of God. So what we're going to do at the end of this service, as you will see, we're going to ask you to consider committing yourself to reading the Word of God daily and to apply what you learn into your lives and, and, to, and to join into a small group or a group of people that study the Word together because we need each other. Secondly, look, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says we need to have fellowship with one another. But I am venturing a guess that you had no idea when we started this what real true fellowship is. Most people think fellowship is gathering together, having a cup of coffee or something, you know, together and some donuts and just have fellowship, fun. But that's part of it, yes. But the true word, the true meaning of the word fellowship is to share, a sharing with one another, a partnering with one another. It is our gathering together so that we might share with one another. Share what? It is what I've been teaching us. It is the spiritual gift that God has given you. I need to help finish, help me finish strong my walk with Christ. We need one another. And so I found Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 11 and 12. I think that's right. Yes. Ephesians 4, verse 12. But verse 11 says, He gave some as apostles and some as, uh, well, what? Uh, evangelists. And uh, let me look because I don't know that by heart. I know the, the, the crux of what he's saying. Ephesians chapter 4. Look. He says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers. Those are the the very essence of what is the, the foundational of a church. It is those that have the ability to teach the Word of God. He gave that. He gave many more gifts. You might not have those particular gifts. He gives many more gifts. But He has given these gifts and myriads of other gifts, so as, as it says in verse 12, so that we might equip one another, equipping the saints for the work of service so as to build up the body of Christ. The whole purpose of our fellowshipping together is we partner with one another. We share with each other our spiritual gifts. You are needed to equip the other person. You are needed to equip the other person so as to do the work of service. Whatever it is, the ministry that God has called us to here, we need one another to equip one another so we can do the work of service so as to ultimately, and our ultimate goal as believers, as people on this earth, is to build up, that's what it says, Ephesians 4.12, the last part, build up the body of Christ. That's the reason you and I take breath. We're to equip one another for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ. And I see it like this. I see the church, too many of the church people, 
it's like this. May I give you this picture? I hope it'll help. It's like we're, we're on this tug of war. We got this rope and we're all pulling on it. And, and on the other end is Satan trying to drag us away from the things of God. And we're in this battle and we're tugging. But on the sidelines are some people that are just saying, go get them, man. Way to go. And they're not on the rope. They're not pulling. They're not giving their spiritual gifts so as to pull the rope together so as to finish this, this race that we've been given. And what I want to do is get all of us who are on the sidelines saying, way to go, keep pulling. I want us to grab a hold of the rope and pull too. And you might say, well, I'm not strong enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. We can teach you your spiritual gift. It's a very simple process. You just have to be willing to, to try to find out what it is. Just getting busy and you'll find soon enough what it is that, that is your spiritual gift. And once you know that, then you start using that for the glory of God so as to equip one another, so as to do the work of service, so as to build up the body of Christ. That's our purpose. That's true fellowship. And so we're going to ask you to to commit to be continually devoting yourselves to share your spiritual gift within the within the confines of the church, to help each other grow in Christ and finish this race that we have called Christianity, this life that we've been given. The third thing we are to do is to have communion. Communion is the whole essence of remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. We, we proclaimed that to you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's to the left from Ephesians. You'll go past 2 Corinthians, of course, and you'll see 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians what Jesus Christ says. He says, I received from the Lord, verse 23, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke this bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the the key to communion, is to place our minds and our hearts and our thoughts on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. When you eat of this bread, do it, he says, in remembrance of me. In the same way, verse 25, he took the cup also after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This new covenant, we learn, was the forgiveness of sin, the unfailing forgiveness of all sin that you and I have ever committed. And so when we go to communion, we, we are to, as we're going to see in a moment, examine ourselves to see if there's any sin in us so that we might take communion as purely as possible and we would remember what Jesus Christ did for us. But the true essence of communion is forgiveness. Remembrance of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of our sin, but also the forgiveness of others who might have sinned against us. Let's face it, we're just human beings here. We're going to fail. Hopefully never on purpose, but we're going to fail. And when we do, and if we do, and, and, and when that happens, it is 
my heart's desire, if I've done anything to hurt any of you, that you would come to me and ask, rather than holding it against me, come to me and see, did you do that on purpose? Why did you do what you did? I might say to you, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I did it. Or I might say, yes, I did it for this reason or that reason or for whatever I'm going to say. If I've hurt you, I know and I promise you, I will say, please, please forgive me. It is not my intention. It is not ever going to be my intention to hurt any of you. And I want to seek your forgiveness if by some some happenstance I'd done something that offended you in some way or another. And I would want your being able to forgive me and so that we can walk purely with the Lord our God. That's the real true meaning of communion. And so it says, look, he says in verse uh, 27, or verse 26, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is going to be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So therefore, Paul writes in verse 28, Let a person examine themselves. And so, let them eat the bread and drink the cup. For the person who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he doesn't judge his body rightly. For this, he says, many among you are weak and sick, and some of you sleep, even some have passed away. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. And so, the whole idea of communion, when we take it next week, is to examine ourselves to see if there's any sin in us. If there is, to ask the Lord to forgive us and to take purely the communion, the bread and the wine in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But the true deep meaning of communion, apart from this remembrance of Christ and the forgiveness of our sins, is so that we would walk in unity as brothers and sisters in the Lord. The fourth thing we saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is prayer. Turn with me to Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 6. The whole I, There could have been a number of places where we could have talked about prayer. I chose Matthew chapter 6 because it led into them asking the Lord, will you teach us to pray? And that's when he taught them the, the Lord's Prayer. But it really, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It could be called the Disciples' Prayer. And it really is just an outline. He's already said to us, he doesn't want us to repetitiously say something over and over and over to him again. He wants us to to tell him, well, look what he says. He says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then he speaks about giving, and then he speaks about praying. But the whole essence of praying, let's just talk about praying, is praying with a pure heart, not so to be noticed by other people, but purely to say what we're going to say to God Almighty. And what we learned about prayer was, well, we're going to read it in a minute, but what we learned was He already knows what we need. He already knows what we want. Our purpose in prayer is to praise the holy and righteous name of our God, to lift Him up as our God and Savior. And so, Jesus Christ teaches in verse 5, when you pray, so we ought to listen to this, 
you're not to be as the hypocrites. He's already said in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others so they might notice you. If you do that for that purpose, you've got your reward. They notice you. Good going. But he says, don't do that. Don't be as the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. He is not saying that you and I ought to always pray in secret. What he is saying, though, is what is your heart attitude when you come to him in prayer? Do you humble yourselves to him? He says, but when you pray, go into your room. In other words, don't make... Don't make others notice you so much. And when you've shut your door, you pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, don't use meaningless repetition. That's why we're not to just say the Lord's Prayer over and over and over and over again. No. He says, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. They suppose that they're going to be heard for their many words. No. Don't be like them, he says. Your father knows what you need before you ask of him. And so the whole purpose of prayer is not necessarily to ask of the Lord. He already knows what you want to ask for. What he wants to hear is or see is your humble heart. That you would come to him broken, humbly, saying, Lord God, you are, you are everything to me. And sometimes I find myself praying and honestly... I don't think it's just my age. I forget what I even came to pray for because I just am honoring him. And I know in the end result that wasn't the real issue. Not The issue wasn't what I wanted. The issue was me going to him and telling him how great I think he is and how much I love him. And he already knows what I want. He already knows what I need. It's my heart. And so that's what we are to become, people who are continually devoting ourselves to prayer. And so what we're going to ask you to do is to consider making a commitment that you would daily be in an attitude of prayer, seeking the Lord's will. The fifth thing we looked at was sharing, giving. Look with me, please. We could go to a number of places. Just let's take a look at 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it pretty much says it all. Um, I was going to ask you to turn also to uh, uh, Luke. Don't do that right now. Let me just read Luke to you while you're looking for uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. There are a number of places in the Word of God that tells you give, and He will give back to you. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we are told, well, let's read it. Look what it says in verse 6. Now this I say, the person who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. But the person who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. There's enough within the Word of God that tells us, look, don't be cheap with God. He, he knows your heart. He knows what you need. You be fair with God. He will be more than fair with you. We talked about, I'm going to read the next verse in a moment. We talked about First, First Chronicles chapter 29 when King David went before God. In the 14th verse of that chapter, he said humbly, he said, Lord God, who are we that we should offer to you as magnificently as we've done? 
But he said this, if you remember, it was one of my favorite places in Scripture. He says, what we have received from your hand, what you have given to us as, a, as a, an act of your kindness to us, you give to us. We have taken what we received from your hand and we have given back to you. And that's where I learned the whole idea about the cycle of giving. In everything, in your talent, in your treasure, in your time, you have been given something by God. You should take a portion of it and give it back to Him. But never, ever should you be forced to give. I heard twice this past week, coming into this message, two different programs that I had... uh, One, I, I I had taped so I could watch later, and it was talking about churches asking people to give. And I wanted to see what was said on it. It was a secular program. It wasn't on a Christian station. And this one guy, this one preacher, I don't know where he's from. I don't want to know where he's from. I just want to know that you shouldn't go to his church because they're building their church and he is commanding, he is asking his people, he is placing upon them a burden that they must tithe. And I wanted to write this guy and say, while you ask your people to tithe, will you please study your Bible? Because what you're asking your people to do is not biblically correct. Nobody. A tithe, as we've already learned, is a taxation. It is an Old Testament phrase. It is not to be used in the New Testament times. Your giving and my giving ought to be something that is given from where? Our hearts and our hearts alone. And nobody should make you feel like you have to give. Now, God gives you these these little... Um, tidbits that say if you give sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, that isn't trying to, to intimidate you to give more. It's just telling you the principle of the Word of God and it does nothing to do with faith offerings. In other words, if you offer God a lot, He will give you more. That's not the way it is. He is just saying to you that if you want to test Him, He says in Malachi, test me to see if these things aren't so. But what so many preachers won't tell you is this. Let each one, verse 7, really critical. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let each of us do just as we have purposed in our hearts. Not grudgingly, nor under compulsion. Because God just loves a cheerful giver. And so your, your giving to the church here is necessary for us to function. You must give here. I pray that you'll give here. But how much? That's between you and God. The reason I would never ask for a tithe, number one, it's not biblical. Number two is it's going to limit. Some of you are going to, you're going to get blessed so much more, you're going to give more than 10%. I know that's true. I know that's true. I've seen God work. I've watched him bless our family. My wife has taught me well. And so what we're going to ask you to do is to make this commitment, realizing that everything that you have, all that you are is His. And you ought to learn to give a portion of your earnings to Him weekly as an act of your love and obedience. But how much? That's between you and the Lord. But don't ever let any of us intimidate you into giving. That's why I do not, my name is not needed, I've told you this before, my name is not needed on any check in this church. I do not second or co-sign or first sign any check. I do have nothing to do with the money. I don't want to know who gives. I don't want to know how much they give. 
It's none of my business. My business is to purely give out the word of God. That's my ministry here. But taking care of the money, that's, that's, that's been delegated to people who really know. I've even delegated in my own home that I don't deal with the money. I used to. I thought it was a man's job. I learned that my wife is so much better than me at it. So I allow her to do that. Last thing that we saw in second in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, 40, 42 to 47, is that we are to praise and worship the Lord. And we, we looked, I'm almost done, so I, I, let's not look, but at Psalms 150 it says, let everyone that has breath, what? Praise the Lord. And we pray that you and I will live in a continual devotion and an attitude of praise to God. One of the key verses was in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. In other words, the word heartily there means with passion. Whatever you do, do it. Live your life with passion as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you and I serve or worship. And so if you... uh, If you were to look now into your bulletins, if you have a bulletin, would you please look at it real quickly? Please. I'm sorry to to do this. In your bulletins, you're going to see an insert. Inside the bulletin is um, an insert that says a commitment, a commitment of an Acts 2 believer. On the back side, just as our youth did last week, I'd like for you and me to prayerfully consider committing ourselves to becoming an Acts 2 person, an Acts 2 church. Next weekend is Palm Sunday as we lead into Easter. As I mentioned to you already, we will have communion. And at communion, you will have an opportunity to take your signed, if you wish to do it, your signed commitment sheet and lay it at the foot of the cross. We will have the cross somewhere, I think, uh, so that we can put these commitment things into the basket. I don't want you to sign it just because you think you have to. I want you to sign it because you feel that it is the right thing to do. Hopefully you understand that we need to be students of the Word of God. Hopefully you understand that for you to know the Word of God is the way that you're going to use your spiritual gifts so as to help all of us grow and finish strong this walk we have with Jesus Christ. Hopefully you understand what that means, that fellowship and communion and prayer. Hopefully you'll understand that this church desperately needs all of us to give as we've purposed in our hearts to give so that we can do the things that God has laid upon us as a church to do. And hopefully in your heart you will want to commit yourself to the best of your ability to live and to glorify God in all that you do and all that you are and all that you say each and every day of your lives.